Welcome to the Yada 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 podcast, where we interview members of the local Brisbane arts community. We go behind to find out what makes the artist tick. All right, hello and welcome to the Yada Yada podcast, where today we have a very special guest, Aaron Summit. How are you, Aaron? Good, mate. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. Now, Aaron is the creative genius behind Maurice and the Metal Comic Book Series. How's your day going so far? Uh, it's good now that I'm in a podcast with you, mate. Sweet, thank <laughs> you. Now, first question. Were you into comic books when you were younger, like as a kid growing up? Yeah, I was. Um, it took off for me like when I was walking uh, through newsagents as an eight-year-old and just seeing the amount of comics. And for me, like when I was eight years old, Spider-Man was already in its like, you know, 35th year, 40th yeah. year. So it was hard to go, well, I'm not going to get started at issue 412. <laughs> but at that stage in the early 90s, we started to see a surgence of comic book creators start their own brand. Uh, which was Image Comics. And uh, to start actually at the ground floor at comics like Spawn and Young Bloods and um, The Pit. And you know, there was just an incredible time just to watch these things just start from nothing. Even as a 10, 12 year old, it was still amazing. Yeah. Sweet, that's awesome. Now I have to ask you, who is your all time favorite comic book hero? This is uh, an answer that if you had to ask me when I was a four year old, I would have said the same character. Yep. Uh, it's the Hulk. The Hulk? Uh, just because he's clearly conflicted as a character there's two sides of him I mean it's it is taking enough cues from Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde but if you had asked my mum she would have said the same answer there's uh, lots of photos of me as a four-year-old picking up my sister's bikes and throwing them and kind of eventually breaking them uh, you know Hulk shirts was just what I would wear uh, so and still you know it's amazing how those things that I loved as a kid I'm still loving as an adult yeah you know and I take no shame in saying <laughs> that that that's what has happened yeah just just the Hulk just because of that character getting getting angry and it kind of being the personality trait that leads that character you know and Bruce Banner having to be so central and you know so calm unless that beast comes out and uh, just the, the internal conflict, I think I find more interesting than an external conflict. All right. So that's why it's the Hulk. That's awesome. Thank you for that. Superhero is a pretty, you know, standard trope for comic books. So it's pretty tough to come up with different ideas that are unique to you. And Maurice in the Metal is definitely something very unique. So how did you come up with this idea and what inspired you for it? Well, I think uh, the superheroes in comic books is obviously a, um, it is a, a trope. It is a, um, there's a cliche involved with that, that the tights and fights in comic books. But when you do strip it back, it is heroes and heroes have been the focus of a lot of novels, a lot of movies, a lot of songs. You know, it, it is a trope, yes, but uh, there's other media that succumbs to the idea of let's just have a hero, let's just them have them fight. Right. Uh, so comic books do do it. And um, I think the best or the better comics and in particular, like why I love my character that I created is because it came from a real life experience. I've been in publishing for 20 years now, but at the time when I came up with the character, I was in publishing and I was still enjoying it, but I felt like the daily grind was getting me down. And uh, one day when I was walking to work, I was listening to something like Simon and Garfunkel right. on my uh, uh, iPod probably at the time, because it was about 10 years ago that I came up with the idea for the character. Yeah. So I was walking to work and uh, the song that I was listening to just wasn't doing it for me. So I decided to put on something a bit heavier and turn it up. And that song happened to be uh, Metallica's Master of Puppets. Yeah. <laughs> As the, the riff started hitting real hard, um, and it starts from the, from the get-go, I just felt like I was hitting the pavement with some more you know, zeal, <laughs> some more energy. And uh, yeah, with every step, 
as I was walking to work, it like I was floating. My chest was, you know, out and I, my back was straight and I just felt positive. So uh, by the time I got to my front door, which was about five minutes away from my bus stop, I walked through the door and I imagine a superhero that's powered by heavy metal. What would that look like? So I've lived a creative life pretty much my entire career, really. Yeah. Uh, but that was the first day I ever felt like kind of struck by something. And uh, by the end of the day, I developed the character, had the name, had the fact that he's Walkman has been possessed by a Black Sabbath roadie. <laughs> like it just kept on going and it wasn't forced. It, I didn't have to like try too hard. And yeah, so that was about 10 years ago. Uh, wow. And then it just got to the point where I just couldn't let it go. Uh, and I would have hated myself if I didn't do something with it. And now I'm going to hate myself if I don't finish it. So <laughs> I'm up to issue three right now. And, uh, you can check that out on Kickstarter at the moment, but it'll be out soon. All right. And then I've got another six, seven issues planned after this. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Now, books one and two make it pretty obvious that you're a fan of heavy metal. Yeah. So can you please just name us top five of your favorite metal songs in uh, history could be anything uh for whom the bell tolls by metallica is yep. number one all right uh angel of death by slayer all right all right crystal skull by mastodon all right uh blackwater park by opeth okay uh and number five oh i can't use metallica again can i oh you but, can uh, do whatever you want the, honestly uh fade to black by metallica i think yeah. uh in uh ride the lightning where it goes from for whom the bell tolls and straight into fade to black yeah i don't think i've ever skipped they're, they're like yeah. a, they're a duo now they're not they're not two songs they're, they're one not, song yeah. yeah um and i the reason why i love metal and the reason why i love comics is because the world is so rich the tapestry, the, the the theatrical side to it. The fact that these guys are being themselves, but they're also being influenced by the music. It's not yeah. a character that they're playing, but it's just an amplified version of it, of yeah. themselves. Uh, and if you go back and you read those stories about how they came up with the idea for Fade to Black as a song, you go, it must be a really deep song. But when you find out that James Hetfield was actually writing about his guitar getting stolen from a gig, He's, he wrote that whole song in the depression based on a guitar, not a person, yeah. not a love lost, but a guitar lost. Uh, and there's just something rich in that. You know, it might be uh, superficial and selfish just to write a song like that about a guitar, but uh, that's just how deep that world is. And I think when somebody who's not a fan of metal looks at metal, they go, well, it's just noise. There's nothing to it. It's just, you know, a whole bunch of kids just making loud noise. <laughs> yeah. And, when you peel it back and you actually try, I think it's it's a world revealed to a lot of people. And it's a story I've shared with um, heaps of fans that come up to the to me uh, about the comic book and just say, this reminds me of when I first got into metal. Everybody recognizes that that first song that they listen to opens up a rabbit hole. And I was talking to a kid this morning on uh, Instagram, Orion. He, um, he's just taken to the comic book like crazy. Uh, and says, yeah, that, that metal journey is like a rabbit hole. So as soon as you remember that first song, it, I like, it's insane. Yeah. Do you, are you a fan of metal? I do listen to some metal, actually. Yeah. And like what you said, a lot of the stuff that Metallica does or even, you know, Iron Maiden or Judas mm -hmm. Priest, oh, they're all awesome. Yeah. All right, number six would be Hello, Be Thy Name by Iron Maiden. All right. Yeah. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah. That is absolutely perfect. Now, Jesse Ham did an amazing job at bringing you know, Maurice to life in books one and two, but sadly last year of his passing, yep. it means that you had to change to someone else for book number three. Mm -hmm. Who's welding the pen for book number three and what can we expect artistically this time around? 
Um, it, it was a sad loss, Jesse Hammond, not just for me and Maurice, because he was so integral to building this character, but the, the loss for the comic book industry, yeah. uh, especially the, uh, the indie comic book creators who are doing it for more passion and love. Uh, he was a teacher, that guy. Yeah. He was so knowledgeable, but took a lot of pride, I think, in, in passing that on. You know, if you look at his uh, Patreon, I think, at the time he had 15,000 people following wow. him. And to find 15,000 comic book creators to actually follow one other comic book creator, I mean, that's just a, a sign that he was, you know, well-respected in the industry. He kind of held my hand through the whole process because I'd never done anything to the scale before. Never worked on a comic book. So he was a, he was a great loss to the book. Um, and sadly, he wasn't going to be available for issue three. He had uh, moved on to a project for Dark Horse Comics, but he was still going to be a, a consultant on the book. So I felt like I lost that as well. Um, so... In the, at the time, I didn't have any idea about how I was going to find that next illustrator, and uh, I was just reaching out to people who I thought had similar tastes and just seeing who was available. And uh, somebody suggested Nicola Itzo. He's a, an Italian illustrator. Okay. He's worked on a few books. And I just reached out to him and said, hey, I've got this book. The issue is going to be that we all need to keep in the same style as Jesse. And if you looked at a thousand illustrators, you could tell them distinctly different. So he had to mimic style, but also add his own flavor on top. He did an amazing job, an amazing job to actually try and imitate Jesse Ham's style uh, while still adding something that was uniquely him about it. So we've tried to keep that same style. It's still the same black and white. It's still simple lines rather than over the top muscles and <laughs> and, and guns and explosions. Yeah. Uh, really tried to steer clear of that. But he's done an amazing job. Uh, it, it's amazing to me how the the style is different, yes, but also the, the approach and the process. So Nicola is uh, a lot younger than what Jesse was and hasn't had as much experience, but I think what we built by the end of issue three, we had a rapport going on that we didn't have at the start of the book. So I think when we move on to issue four, we're going to be leaps and bounds ahead of where we were, yeah. which is really exciting for me. That's awesome. Right, thanks for that answer, by the way. Now, you're a graphic designer yep. by trade. Mm -hmm. Was it like hard at any situation to kind of hand over your skills to someone else, you know, to try and do all that kind of stuff? Uh, yeah, do you mean um, it was hard for me to hand the book over to an illustrator? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it was, it was because I wanted to be involved in any, every step of the process. Yeah. So initially before I made the leap to find the illustrator, I thought I'd storyboard it myself onto a page. And I think it's a, it's a really good thing to do in your own career to know, to realize and to understand that you yourself have knowledge gaps. You have got skill gaps. There's a reason why you don't do your own plumbing. Yeah. There is a, there's a reason why I didn't start illustrating my own book. To think that you can look at something and just do that. I don't think that's the right way to get into a creative project. There is so much benefit in uh, collaborating. Uh, there is so much benefit in actually going, here's what I want or need. Here's what you can deliver and let's meet somewhere in the middle. Let's workshop what we can. And then when I started looking at the work that Jesse had done in uh, even the thumbnail sketches, which is like the first rough of a page, I went, there is such an art to this. And to think that I could have done it was very naive, and I'm still naive about it, going to make a comic book like this. But no, there was nothing. I, I, I didn't hold anything back when it came to critiquing levels of the, the book. But because I came from a creative background where I'm critiqued on my job, I knew what it would feel like to actually say blunt feedback or not constructive or not working together. So initially, yes, it was hard. But then as soon as you realize that this person is professional, 
This yeah. is what they do for a living. You're going to have to let go some. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. There's a reason why a guitarist doesn't play the drums. And, and you know, yeah. when some artists can, but not, not everybody. So I knew my flaws where it came to that. Yeah. That's uh, fair enough. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, good on you for doing that, by the way. It's definitely come out very, very good. Cool. Uh, book one gave us the original story behind, you know, Maurice and his special power. But in book two, Maurice embraces his special power and seems to find a love interest. Does this blossom in book three? Well, I've, I've read a lot about like the kind of stories that you should be creating and uh, it's a lot more personal experience than somebody sitting down saying, I'm gonna come up with an original story. So anything that Maurice does in this book is kind of influenced by my life. Okay. Uh, the, the love interest there is, it's gonna be more of how I lived my life, I think romantically would be not really knowing how to, to speak to the other person uh, other person when you're uh, a 17 year old, because that's what Maurice is. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's gonna be uh, romantic, I guess, in a way, but uh, it's gonna be awkward. They're gonna bumble around. They're not gonna know if each other likes the other person. They're gonna, you know, they're not gonna realize, I don't think, for a couple of issues, but uh, I think it's gonna build from a friendship to a respect then, you know. Uh, but it is fun to kind of play with that. Uh, and I think it, it makes it really set in the 1980s to have that struggle. Whereas if I was going to make a, a comic book in the year 2020, well, around now, uh, I feel like kids are so much more confident than they were in the 80s. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's true. I think some are, some aren't. It, it really just depends, honestly. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. But back, back, back then, like no one had a follow list, you know, thousands of people deep where you go, yeah. oh, I think I've only got three friends. There's yeah. only three people knowing or caring about who I am or what I do. But nowadays you can have 3,000 nobodies and feel better about yourself. And then there's an ego boost that you yeah. get, you know, living now. I mean, I understand that things must be a lot worse, but um, yeah, <laughs> I just feel like it was very awkward in the 80s. And uh, maybe uh, John Hughes had something to say about that, his movies. Yeah. Yeah, the awkward teens. And I think it's just, just a very 80s trope as well. That's awesome, yeah. I could definitely pick up that vibe from the first and second copy from reading it. Yeah. Like, it's definitely got that awesome, like, 80s vibe to it, but yet again, still the teen yeah. whole era with it that cool. you saw in those movies, so yeah. it's awesome. I, um, I've been telling people, what, what kind of story is it? And, and don't just give me the synopsis or the, the log line for it. I said, well, if John Hughes met Ozzy Osbourne, what story would they come up with? And this is the story. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The script of the books... Are fast paced and both endings leave us wanting more. There are plenty of music references and Easter eggs in both books. Can we expect more of these in book three? Uh, yes, yeah. Because um, uh, my career as a graphic designer was, I started at a music magazine called Rave, which is one of the Brisbane yeah. staples back in the day. Back in the day, it was only 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> but uh, at that time, I, I was photographing a lot of gigs. I have always loved live music photography, but I got a chance to do it for eight years while I was there. So okay. probably uh, 350, 400 type wow. gigs and festivals that I went to. And uh, just to have a look at those iconic photos from the 80s and 90s of famous bands. Yeah. If somebody gets to pick up issue three, uh, you'll see an Easter egg in there of a very famous photo of a very famous band. And I'll see if anybody can pick it. All right. Uh, I'll get a signed copy to anybody who can get in contact with me and say, that's that photo. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> well. Yeah, and, and it's not going to be hard to find. It's, it's, yeah. it's clearly right in the middle of people's face. 
What would have been maybe like one of your favourite um, moments of when you did the photography and all of that kind of stuff for rave and yeah. in music festivals and gigs? Like what would your favourite moments from that have been? Oh, there would be a couple. Um, I think it was Wolf Mother, Splendour in the Grass in 2005. All right. And uh, it, it was because they had just really hit. It was maybe 2006, but the crowd was just insane. And it was the first time that I'd been in the pit where I felt like things are getting out of control. Like <laughs> there were more security guards than photographers. Yeah. And uh, with, even with a lot of big bands, that's not the case. It's usually more photographers than uh, security guard. Uh, and it's only for those first three songs. And the amount of people coming over the, the gate, over the, the wall, uh, the front of the pit, we only got to shoot one whole song and then the security guard said, no, you have to get out. So uh, it, it just felt dangerous. And I think uh, when you're in the pit, if it doesn't feel dangerous, you're not enjoying yourself enough. Uh, so other times were uh, we got to photograph the strokes and uh, Julian Casablancas was covering his face the entire time like that, singing like that. Wow. And we uh, shot the first three songs and then Julian says to, there was four photographers in the pit, says this is my favourite part of the night when the photographers, uh, and you know, we, the four photographers just looked back and cheered and you know, we weren't respected by that band. And then yeah, other ones is just the amount of amazing people I met at metal gigs. They were, they were my favourite bands to shoot were just the metal bands. The, the audience just respectful of what I was there to do, that I wasn't going to get in their way. And uh, it's a strange, strange feeling when you're in a hot venue, like you've been to gigs and yeah. you know, like how hot they get, especially in Brisbane. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Uh, at the arena and I was watching a band called uh, Amon Armath. Okay, yeah. Uh, and they were a Viking metal band. Long hair everywhere. The entire audience had long hair. And I was in the pit and at the arena, if any photographers are listening from that, that era, you'll know how close the pit was to the audience, uh, know how close the uh, photographer's pit was to the stage. You had like probably two feet of, you know, like, you know, I could barely fit down it sideways. So when the band starts and I'm sweating and I'm not even on stage, I'm not doing anything yet. I'm just holding <laughs> like five kilos of camera equipment. And when the band starts, the, the head banging, just like goes. the entire front yeah. row is just head banging. And the amount of wind that they generated cooled me down. It was like a strange, strange wow. sensation to get that kind of um, thing happening at a metal gig. Um, yeah, but the, the nicest people, like if you go to a metal festival, um, you know, they'll, they'll just talk to you like you're one of them. And you, that's what I love about metal. It's you individual, unique, but when you're in a crowd of metalheads, you're kind of like family. Yeah. I, I do love that about the, um, the genre. Yeah, it's, yeah. All, it's kind of that family scene. Everyone's yeah. in it together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's awesome. Now, who plays Maurice in the movie version? Oh. Who plays his dad and who would be your <laughs> dream director? Uh, can I add another one of the characters in there? Yep, perfect. Uh, okay. Um, so Maurice, I always saw uh, getting played by Finn Wolfhard. Okay, Jack, okay. Jack Black is the dad. Yep. Uh, and as the villain, uh, David Dasmalchian. Okay. Uh, he's got a real horror vibe to him. and He's a comic book creator as well. What was the last one? And dream director for it. Oh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one because there's obviously similarities to uh, Scott Pilgrim. So if I was to say uh, Nick Wright, you know, he did directed the Scott Pilgrim uh, comic book movie because yeah. his uh, style is so cut and dream director for it. I mean, you could direct it yourself if you wanted to. <laughs> you know, no. uh, what I said before, I know my, my knowledge gaps and my, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know about that one. Okay. I, I think it would be like a really good project for somebody new to it. 
You know, okay. I, I would say if there were 10 people and, you know, there was a list, there were nine Hollywood, you know, Oscar winning directors. And the 10th one was somebody who had just made a couple of indie films, but they understood the project with some passion. I would choose them a wow. hundred times. Yeah. I would choose them more than nine well-known, gonna get my story out there directors. I want somebody with passion who's gonna grab that project and go, whoop, I understand. I know what you're doing. Yeah. You know, that, that's a hard one. I, there's not very many, you know, 1980s focused directors out there that I would go, yep, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the way the, the guys, the directors from Stranger Things. Yeah. I um, can't remember their name. Was it the Duffer Brothers or something? That's like it, that? yeah. yeah. Yeah, like the way they've taken the 80s and really recreated that, I think they, they would do a sensational job on this. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'll, go, I'll go with them. That's my answer. All right. That's perfect. Now... Where can people find your iconic comic books and when can we get our hands on copy three? Uh, issue three is on Kickstarter right now and uh, that's probably a month away from going to the printer. Okay. Um, so probably in two months you'll probably be able to get that. All right. Um, and you can get issue one and issue two on Comixology, All right. the online database for comics. Uh, and I've got a website, maurice-and-the-metal.com, right. which is a really cumbersome website address. <laughs> But if you just put Maurice and the metal into Google, it'll come up. All right. Yeah. That's Lots perfect. of avenues for it. It's on uh, Big Cartel, I think, is my store. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, drop me a line, drop me an email. You'll be able to get me through Yada Yada Podcast. Yada Yada Podcast. That's yeah. awesome. Well, look, thank you so much for no stopping problem. by, Aaron, and we can't wait to get our hands on book three. Awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, thank you.